Hello and thanks for joining us on Search for Truth with Bible teacher Brian Johnston. I'm honoured once again to have the privilege of your company and if you've been following this series over the last couple of months, I hope you found these Bible studies beneficial. Today we have the last talk in this series on the mindfulness Jesus endorses and Brian ends with a focus on beauty. That's the subject of his talk, and the focus is on the beauty of God's glory. What higher and greater focus to keep before our minds? And what more positive influence could there be in our lives than our awareness of the beauty of God's glory and the beauty of the Lord Jesus? So let's enjoy this study now with Brian. Thanks, John. Before we lost the sense of morality being absolute, and more recently lost the sense that truth is absolute, we'd already long since lost the sense of beauty being absolute. After all, we've long contented ourselves with the idea that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But is this what the Bible teaches? The Westminster Confession says that our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Would it be modifying that very much, I wonder, to suggest that our noblest ambition is to see the beauty of the Lord and then to reflect it accurately in our lives? Is God's glory not simply the radiance of his substance? After all, he designed all atoms so that when they get excited, they give off a chemical fingerprint which identifies them. With that in mind, might we not think of God's glory as the communication of his unmistakable beauty? The divine spirit's work is introduced in the Bible's opening verses, performing the ultimate makeover of the formlessness of the earth, which is how it initially appeared when the raw materials were first brought into existence. It was formless then. When God proceeded to work with those materials, the earth was perfectly beautiful at the completion of his six-day creation work. The same divine spirit later gave to Bezalel and Aholiab within the portable temple project the skill to give effect to God's creative designs as described in the Bible, creative designs which declared something of God's glory. In the future, he will far extend the range of artistry so that in the supreme beauty of the new earth, everything will say glory. The whole earth will be filled with God's glory because all of it will then be God's temple. God's beautiful garden will be worldwide in extent and the glory once constrained in a portable temple structure will be universal. God will be all in all and everything will be eternally beautiful. Our concluding thoughts on the beauty of the Lord are framed, I suggest, within that bigger picture which we've just outlined, which is the headline story of the Bible from cover to cover. God's glory is that which identifies him as the ultimate in beauty. And the beauty of the Lord is the absolute standard by which all beauty is measured. How can we at this point have a real appreciation of it? Well, we get some insight from the life of King David. David valued his place in God's house above everything else because he understood it to be the place from which to see the beauty of the Lord by means of seeking his face in worship there. This is what we read in Psalm 27, a psalm of David. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me, and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, 
My heart said to you, Your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. This purpose for God's house is in fact the overarching purpose of God for all creation, inasmuch as once sin is removed, his servants are to be able to see the beauty of his face in the eternal state described at the end of the book of Revelation. But how can we enjoy David's experience in this day and age? Where do we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord? Where is the biblical setting for worshipful meditations that might even exceed those that David knew? For the answers to those questions, we need to begin our journey in the upper room where Jesus met with his disciples for the last time before his death, and to what's often referred to as the Last Supper. In Matthew's Gospel, we read in chapter 26 and verse 26, that while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The sequel to this is to be found in the New Testament churches of God. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the church of God at Corinth, in the first letter and the eleventh chapter, verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As often as you drink it, were the Lord's words. He never wants us to forget his passion. He's left us this memorial as a constant, a weekly reminder. It was always on the first day of the week that the first disciples broke bread to remember the Lord. And the force of the words, as often as, imply that God's design is every week. Whenever we gather as a church of God to sit around the Lord's table to eat the Lord's Supper, we have the most intimate and precious opportunity to meditate on what the Lord requires us to always remain mindful of. As brothers lead God's people in worship, we find our hearts drawn to the Lord in all his true beauty. Isaiah the prophet wrote that at his first advent, the Jews saw no beauty in him, but the Holy Spirit within present-day worshippers, enables us to enter into the experience of the hymn writer who spoke of gathered worshippers gazing on the Lord in glory. Another described our Lord with his wounds described as being in beauty glorified. In the beauty of holiness, as the psalmist once described Israel's worship experience, and we surely eclipse that as we focus on the glories of the Christ of God, so in the beauty of holiness, we have a sense of spiritual awe as we look upon the face of God's anointed. There is no sight more beautiful than this. This will occupy and satisfy our minds forever. His servants shall see his face and do him service. Revelation 22 verse 4. Then God will be all in all, the whole earth full of his glory. There'll be no distractions in a world to come that will be eternally free of sin. 
a paradise regained, and then some, where we will understand what true and absolute beauty is, and we shall be like him. An awareness of this as our destiny is surely what we should mostly be mindful of. Through an appropriate mindfulness of our union with Christ through the cross, it's God's intention that moment by moment our lives should become transformed to show a family resemblance to his son Jesus. It's our destiny, after all, to be conformed to the image of God's Son. Four words in Romans 8 verse 30 stretch out like golden links in an eternal chain spanning from before time and way into the glorious forever. These four words are the great theological words chosen, called, justified and glorified. The last is also in the past tense simply because it's 100% certain. It's as good as done. No believer can fall off this pathway, which had its origin in the mists of eternity. All who were chosen then will be glorified in the future. These are the four most momentous words in our personal career. We are totally described by these four words in the most meaningful way. They sum up everything about our identity and our destiny, and they have transforming power. Let's bask in an awareness and enjoyment of them that can shape our every moment now. There are lovely words in the verse uh, 3 of the hymn we just heard, Fairest Lord Jesus, uh, which say, All fairest beauty, heavenly and earthly, wondrously Jesus is found in thee. None can be nearer, fairer or dearer than thou my Saviour art to me. So I hope you enjoyed Brian's talk today and this series if you've been following over the last three months. If you have any comments or questions for Brian, do get in touch and I'll be giving you some addresses in a moment. There's also a transcript book for all the talks in this series. It's still available, free, on request, if you ask for the title, The Mindfulness Jesus Endorses. It's a wonderful devotional resource, you know, and you can read and enjoy it at any time, or pass it on as a gift to a friend. We never pass on your personal contact details to anyone else, so you can order safely. You can order the book by email or by post, and here's our address. Search for Truth. Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. And our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. You might be interested to know that many titles of Search for Truth transcript books have been turned into ebooks and are available at amazon.co.uk forward slash Kindle hyphen ebooks. If you just type Search for Truth series into the search box, you'll find them there. 
Once again, many thanks for the pleasure of your company today and your interest in these Bible studies. Next week, Brian begins a brand new series, and I hope you can join us. But until then, it's very best wishes from our Bible teacher, Brian, our studio technician, David, our singers, and me, John. So bye for now, and may God richly bless you.